Ladies and gentlemen, Crystal Clear Industries, in association with Rhinestone Radio Podcasts, is proud to present Old Hollywood Realness. Brought to you in vibrant podcastoscope for your listening pleasure. Join your hosts Kathleen Null and Philip Estrada as they recap Hollywood's dazzling darlings one film at a time. And now, please sit back, relax, and enjoy the program. From our long break. Reunited and it feels so good. And it is the start of our kickoff for the Sexy Summer Series. That's right. The Sexy Summer Series, which we're going we're gonna to do. We're going to start officially next month because June yes. we're doing a special send up to our pal. Yes. Little Miss Marilyn Monroe. Maybe you heard of her. June is Maryland month. It may be cliche, but it is because this is when her birthday is. Yeah, and really. it was, actually. Happy yep. birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Marin. <laughs> we miss mm-hmm. you. <laughs> Mad ups. I love you. Think yeah. you're amazing. Um, yeah, so we are doing a Maryland month, but the to begin Maryland month, we're going to start with the inspiration for Maryland, right? Because this was yep. your idea, Kathleen. Yes, and actually, oh, I, wait, I have wait, to wait, say. Oh, wait, 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 wait. We are so out of practice. We are so out of practice. Welcome to Old Hollywood oh, yeah. Field. This, this oh is gosh. the podcast to, that Hollywood celebrates the glitz and glamour of Tinseltown's golden era. That's right. <laughs> wow. We took one episode off and we've literally forgotten our entire lives. Welcome to the podcast. Yes. Um, I'm Philip Estrada. I'm Kathleen Null. Okay. Now, so Marilyn Month, this was yes. your idea. So what is the first movie we're doing and why? Well, um, the first movie we're doing, and actually this was a shout out to my sister to remind me, was that um, she's like, oh, if you do a Maryland month, you should actually do a Jean Harlow film because Jean Harlow was very much um, an inspiration for um, Marilyn. And she, um, I think there's actually a great interview where she had seen her on screen as a very small child and had blonde hair and she really related to her in almost like a mother way of like, well, I, she has blonde hair like me. And so she's always kind of felt this deep connection to Jean Harlow. And, um, and that was something that she uh, tried to emulate particularly early in her career. Um, so uh, when she became her own, you know, uh, sort of uh, her own brand of platinum blonde. Nice. So we and, are, uh, yep. we're, we're doing <laughs> so the we're, movie. <laughs> Literally <laughs> called Platinum Blonde. <laughs> loving it, loving it. <laughs> Which was also a very important film for Jean Harlow because really this was. was this this was when she was really launched as the signature Platinum Blonde. Not that she didn't have Platinum Blonde before then in her last couple movies, but this was when it really launched her as like like a brand identity of the, mm-hmm. of this you know this look and this being associated with her and and it it, it was it launched a thousand blondes. I mean, it, it was the it was the blonde or maybe a million blondes, it and really it was did, like yeah. people realized like look we. We have found a way to bleach hair, and we are not afraid to use it. <laughs> <laughs> We're not saying that it's you're gonna have hair yes, in a few years. That's what I was about to we say. We can do it now. I was Whatever. like, goodbye, top layer of your scalp. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, wigs. <laughs> the burn means it's working. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh my god. So as Kathleen said, we are talking about the movie Platinum Blonde. This mm-hmm. is from 1931. It's from Columbia Pictures. Um yes. it's directed by Frank Capra. Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe uh, a little bit. 
He did, of course. Um, uh, Miracle on 34th. Nope. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Nope. 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 He did. Our sick and old days. Our sick and old days. He also did um, It's a Wonderful Life. That's the yes. word I was looking for. As before, I immediately make a fool of myself. No, so, no, no. Sorry. Directed Good by say. Frank Good Capra. So this movie was film, um, features um, a young Loretta Young as a character mm-hmm. Gallagher, which she's actually got top billing in this movie, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Robert Williams um, plays Stu Smith. He's an interesting um, actor as well, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. So Jean um, Harlow plays Anne Schuyler, who is the um, who's sort of like a socialite debutante. Hallowell Hobbs plays the butler um, Smythe. Uh, Reginald Owens plays Grayson. Um, Edmund Breeze plays Conroy, the editor. Don Dillaway plays Michael School- Schuyler, who is um, Gene Harlow's brother in the film. Um, Walter Catlett plays Bingy, who is a sort of a um, arch nemesis sort of rival in the um, newspaper business. And um, Claude Alistair plays Dawson, the valet. And Louise Closter-Hale plays Mrs. Schuyler. <laughs> so who is who's who's a riot? Yeah. Um, so Kathleen, what is your history with this film and our friend Jean Harlow in general? Well, uh, tell my us God, all the I, stories. <laughs> I think um, I've I've known about Jean Harlow since I was probably a uh, a kid, young preteen. I think my first movies I had seen with her were um, Red Dust and Hold mm. Your Man. And and then of course dinner date. <laughs> um, and I haven't. I, admittedly, I have not seen all of her films. Um, I've actually never seen. I know I've never seen Hell's Angels. Me like, neither. Or, I, I, I have never seen, seen it. Yeah. Um, and I would really like to. Um, but so uh, and and my history with this movie was that you know in doing research I found that this was this was sort of her. Like I, you know, and sort of like a brand launching film for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we, it's funny because I it also made me think a lot about just sort of how, uh, like, blonde was sort of the thing in the early '30s. Like there was blonde crazy, and yeah. both of these movies I think are great in a sense that they do kind of feature they feature blondes, but <laughs> that's really not like kind of what it's all about. It's not per- particularly all about them, and they had original working titles that were last minute changed to something with the word blonde in it. Right, and that's yeah. what like this movie had a couple of other different working titles, but then at the end they were like platinum blonde, you know, like, <laughs> because that became like she was just sort of launching into that, and they realized that this would have been a great marketing ta- tactic. So that's kind of how I knew, you know, uh, and I thought this would work in perfectly with our Maryland month. Um, yes. And yeah, so and so this was my first time seeing it. What about you? Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, full disclosure. I'm on my third glass of red wine because I'm a rich oh, white lady. Okay. I'm a that's rich right. white lady, and hey, hey, that's <laughs> so, how you, you know, do it. <laughs> we're gonna. I'm gonna be talking a little slow. <laughs> um, <laughs> to pause for a sip. <laughs> so my history with Jean Harlow is actually I wasn't very um, aware of her as a youngin, but um, you know, just growing up and then doing my um, doing my summer internship where I watched all the classic movies from the video store, I happened upon um, Dinner at Eight, and I think I watched um, some other, and also I worked at a bookstore in Hollywood that sold memorabilia, and Jean Harlow was sort of like in the ether, and everyone was always mm-hmm. asking for pictures of her and stuff, and I kind of like discovered her, and she's such a beautiful, she's such a beautiful icon like really yes. she's just iconic more than anything like if you've never seen her in a movie you certainly know who she is like you've yes. seen her mm-hmm. and you know what she looks like and it's it's just like it's a whole thing um so and i think also for anyone who's either like lived in la or knows anything about movies or hollywood I, she has that 
she's like this ghost that this angel ghost that sort of haunts <laughs> all the things you know yeah, and even really even back in as, as early as even the 50s you know to, to she was an influence to people even then and uh uh yeah she's she's sort of one of those early the, those early legends um yeah. uh, that that kind of you always always sort of per, sort of is permeating uh you know the stories and the folklore of los angeles yeah. you know and that that's actually i remember like when we lived we were both met and we're friends and like we lived in la that i remember gene harlow being like something we just someone we discussed and we were you know interested in studying and knowing more about like finger waves and bias cut gowns and like oh, yeah, black, yeah. like we were you know it was definitely like that woman who, can oh i have some God. more please that woman knew how to wear a bias cut gown oh like it was God. nobody business because adrian had worked with her mostly when in her mgm years like yes. he dressed her a lot in her later career N- not in this movie actually the costumes mm-hmm. in this movie was by i was uncredited by a man named edward eddie stevenson that's right and so he didn't so the gowns the gowns and like the costumes in this movie are not very indicative of what you think of when you see a Gene Harlow film. It's not those mm-hmm. like bias cut gowns with giant beautiful furs and not it's not very lavish. It's not a lavish production by any means but yeah. um when you get she into does her have a couple li- good looks she but does. they're not like it's not I mean, that over the top fluff like yeah. of dinner at eight looks you know no, or it's not yeah like the dinner at eight which is like the bias cut gown which mm-hmm. is, i'm just like how did they get it to look so beautiful oh right she didn't wear underwear like yeah. she's like no panty lines because as debbie reynolds said no panties yeah and also i i just want to remind everybody gina harlow was barely five foot tall i mean she was mm-hmm. tiny these people were tiny we when you are that small then you can take a very fairly wide piece of silk and turn it on its side and then just completely cut out a dress when you're that small and oh wee. My God. it is and, and they did it a lot i mean but of course you don't i don't even think about it these are things i i kind of see and i've researched recently and they kind of blow my mind was her age and her size yeah. because those are two things that don't come across on the screen she comes across as um I mean, she doesn't come like she's super tall, but she, I don't think of her as being miniature. She doesn't no, seem miniature on no. screen, and she seems very mature, very together, and and just um, you know, it, it, yeah, and, and also her age. Like, mm-hmm. I, it's hard to believe she's twenty years old in this movie. Yeah. Twenty. And Loretta Young's eighteen. Like it's just, and she's sitting in a speakeasy smoking cigarettes from her from her day job at the newspaper. I'm like, I know she's like a hard worn like like newspaper woman. Like she is, and she's 18 years old. It's It's like when we did like Footlight Parade and Blonde Crazy. Like these, all these movies are in that genre. Those pre codes of like people who I'm just like. I'm sorry. I'm 40 years old and you're older than me. Yes. <laughs> you are way more mature than me. <laughs> but I mean, they've seen some things though. Cause they've I mean, you have to shit. think about it. It yeah. was like this. You Even have to, Jean Harlow. Yeah. You know I, mean? I mean, she lived, she'd been married God. and like mm-hmm. done shit, partied. Like, I mean, crazy. you have to think about it back in the day. Like this is 19, this was 1931. This was before the advent of welfare and the social yep. safety net that we have these days. So like when you didn't get a pay, Paycheck, bitch, you didn't get a paycheck, which yeah. means that and if you didn't have a rich aunt or a rich uncle or someone who could feed you, you was going hungry that day. Yeah. And yeah. like it was legit real. So this was the height of the this was like the, the beginning of the depressions. People are starting to feel it. So like people, that's why bias like, looks so good on everybody. They're fucking they're hungry. Fucking like, yeah, hungry. <laughs> it is the height of the depression. Yes. That's so why everybody, like, is, everybody's so trim. They're starving. Yes. But also, too, it's like the, you have to think about it. These people, there was like there wasn't really like childhoods was not a thing like no, you think about no, it right. in the 30s it was like they you know it was like 12 years old get out and make a living 
Like, yeah. Yeah. have fun. Like, yeah, have fun in the factories or have Especially fun Especially if working. you had siblings. You were yeah. like, oh, no, no, no more school for you. Now it's time for you to yeah, take care so of the little Yeah, so, like, it's, it's not surprising to think about, like, okay, if you put yourself in that shoe, that, of course, these people who are 18, 20 years old, they're going to have yep. a sort of worldliness to their to their attitude and the way they carry themselves is because they've been at it since they were, like, a preteen. So yeah. It's, yeah. it's something to think about when you're watching these films and, and you know, something to think about when you see the when you think about the relative ages and how they carry themselves it's 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 kind of amazing and beautiful. it is kind of amazing and, and, yeah. and beautifully tragic in a way you know it's like it, it's it's per- like something that doesn't exist said. anymore yeah, yeah exactly yeah but it's this movie was really great and this this is such a through the looking glass of like a, truly another time another place the clothes and just knowing like mm-hmm. all the clothes are like there is no synthetic material like everything is silks and wools and crepes and, and you like know sock garters and, yes. and like I mean uh, high pants and short ties uh, that we make God. fun of but that was the norm and these are guys in their 20s and they're like no these pants need to be this high and this tie needs to be this short and I'm a man you know? yes like, <laughs> this movie made me want to wear sock garters so so bad. Oh man! Like I yeah. am like, where do I get a pair of sock garters out there? Like they they looked. I was like, they look so cute, and I totally yeah. want to like start rocking them, you know, <laughs> with shorts, <laughs> with high waisted boxer shorts, just high waisted boxer shorts, and then a waistcoat and a vest, or like about, a shirt like, waist, Bermuda shorts that are like suit shorts. You know, Yes. I'm gonna pull a full Tom Brown. It's gonna be it's gonna be upsetting. It's gonna be straight up upsetting. Oh my goodness. Um Oh god. So you had done some research on Edward Stevenson. Yeah. So I would love to hear all of that because I didn't have a get a chance to fully research him. I was doing some other research, but tell yeah. me all of the things. Well it you know, it, it piqued my interest that he wasn't credited. Because I was like, hold up, somebody did something somewhere. And like mm-hmm. and it turned Turns out that this guy, um, his name was uh, Edward Eddie Stevenson, um, and he he was he was like. A- I don't want to say a Hollywood legend, but he's sort of like an unsung Hollywood legend, I feel, because this guy did, he had over 200 film and television credits uh, to his name, including Citizen Kane. Oh, wow. It's, and he did It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, wow. And, and are both fre- you know frequently cited as being some of the greatest movies of all time, but yet we've never really given him his due for his oh, costume. Oh, wow. And when I really read it, his profile, he really seems like, um, I would say... Uh, you know, I, I don't want to say comp- necessarily compare him to Adrian, but you know how Adrian was really good at doing like high fashion that was wearable, like where you wanted to dress like the stars and he would he could do mm-hmm. things that could be um, it wasn't just as co- like costume me. He yeah. could do things that were like uh, like high fashion and still be considered a costume designer. That's yeah. what this guy was like. It was he funny was really because good you at realness, even you know? just mentioning you were talking about his two main ones being It's a Wonderful Life and Citizen Kane. Those are both very real movies. Those are grounded, very real. grounded yeah. movies. Grounded Grounded in reality mm-hmm. as opposed to grounded in like, you know, it's like you're talking about the characters like George Bailey. I mean, he was like he ran a savings and loan. It wasn't like yep. he was like going to high society parties. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah. And I think what's interesting, too, is like, yeah, he's um, like he's it, it's almost like, yeah, we don't think about those costumes because and maybe that that's costuming doing its job because it wasn't about the costumes. Yeah. You know, it was I mean, they really, truly sort of melted into forming of the characters and the emotions and the, the you know the whole being of them were not like where they particularly stood out and i don't think that's because they were black and white per se Mm-mm, no you know? i think it was because um, it was it was so believable that you just take it for granted yeah yeah, yeah. exactly and um 
uh, what was I going to say? Oh, and then he ended up, he actually was nominated for um, Best Costume three times, and the third time he won, and that oh. was with his work um, with Edith Head. But what I thought was really interesting was who he also, like, he lost, because he, so the first time he was nominated for uh, a movie called Mudlark, and they were Best Black and White Costumes, but he lost out to A Place in the Sun. Oh. <laughs> and then um, he also did uh, uh this was for color costumes. He did David and Beth Sheba for the same one. He was nominated and uh, lost, or no, sorry, for a different one, but he lost that to American in Paris. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, they were the same year. So he was nominated for both a black and white and a color. Oh, but shit. he lost out to both, A Place no- in the Sun and American in Paris. Oh, like, my God. <laughs> so he was nominated twice in one year and then lost to both. Yes, like, that's yeah. Amazing. And then that was at the 24th Academy Awards. So, like, you know, in the 50s. And then in the early 60s, it was at the 33rd, okay, like, I think this was like 61, um, he was nominated for The Facts of Life, which was, and he won um, uh, Beth, Best Black and White Costumes, and he shared that with Edith Head. Oh, okay. So he finally did um win that but i think what's what's really cool and i'm i'm sort of going to be you know I'm, I'm kind of drawing from his profile on um imdb it was it was pretty interesting um he he was one of these guys like kind of like these other people we've read about who he was you know born in the early 20th century and he, he actually came from pocatello idaho so he came oh, from wow. a place i know like, right bumblefuck like so yeah, weird no, yeah totally and he was um until like uh until he was in high school and then he he ended up and like a lot of people they ended up he ended up moving out here uh or out out there to um to because he had respiratory <laughs> our issues our, our hearts are in our our hollywood so <laughs> we're in hollywood y'all <laughs> but he ended, up, he ended up moving out there because uh it was drier weather and I guess it was supposed to help the respiratory issue Uh and he ended up going to Hollywood High School and even even then like he turns out when he was in high school his neighbor um, uh, was a cousin to um, Gloria Swanson and Gloria Swanson became wow. aware of he was very artistic, and he and, and she introduced him to Andre Ani, a world famous fashion designer. Oh. Um, from that moment onward, Edward began his ascent into Hollywood fashion design and the fashion designing community. So he just got like he got a leg up early. Wow, that's yep. so awesome! He just sort of met the right people. Yeah, I mean and Gloria Swanson, like how could that not be the right person? No, <laughs> like, right? And then and it, his first job in the industry was as a sketch artist for Norma Talbidge Productions. So like jumped right wow. in. And um, and then he was he was also allowed to create some of the designs on his own, um, which were included in the company's productions of the time. His favorite being the gown used for the White Moth with Barbara Lamar. And Barbara Lamar had a whole other look. Google that late. I mean, that actress. What wow. a crazy like crazy silent film drama, you know. But that was a pretty <laughs> cool thing. And then and then um, it said in the next year, 1925, Stevenson worked as assistant to Andre. And okay, and then he, he was an assistant at MGM, designing for Greta Garbo. And I just want to say, 19. This guy was born in 1906. Oh wow. So 1925, he's like 19, 19. years old uh-huh. doing this. Wow. Like early, early. And then he ended up like he ended up getting another gig and another gig, and he and he landed his first big contract designer like in his early twenties uh, with First National, and um, he was head of the department there, um, and it was brief because they were purchased by Warner Brothers. And what I kind of ga- gathered from this time was that because he was so young, he was really taken advantage of. Like he did huh. like a lot of costume work where he never got credit to the point where he actually sued them because he was oh, like, really? "You're not giving me any." Like, he got almost no credit for this work. So if you think about it, he was born in 1906. This movie was in 1931. This guy's young, young doing yeah, this. Yeah, 1906. Like, mid-20s. Wow, yeah. And that's why I was just like, yeah, dude, these he's people 25. are so young, yeah. you know? 
And um, but then uh, after that, like he ended up like when he left because like they weren't giving him any credit. That's when he kind of bounced around a lot, and he ended up doing work for Columbia. And uh-huh. um, but and then he uh, he ended up setting up his own shop, and he called it Blakely House, where he designed street clothes for the stars and those who admired them. Ooh. And it says in 1935, well, well, well. I know, right? <laughs> in 1935, Stevenson started working as an assistant to Bernard Newman at RKO. When Newman couldn't handle the pressure of designing for Hollywood, he went back to New York to design at Bergdorf's, recommending that Stevenson should be promoted to the top spot. Thus began the longest association of Stevenson's career. From 1936 to 1950, Stevenson helmed at the costume department at RKO, designing oh. for such films as Gunga Din, Love Affair um, with Irene Dunn, Citizen Kane, The Magnificent Ambersons, Sinbad the Sailor, The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer, It's a Wonderful Life, wow. Cheaper Buys the Dozen, and The Mudlark. And it says, um, although he'd return occasionally returned to RKO uh, until 1956, Howard Hughes' management was distasteful to Stevenson, and he sought to work elsewhere when his contract is... So, like, he was just like, I'm done, you know, like, after all that. But um, this is the best part, is it said, in 1950, it was a watershed year in another respect. His work on The Mudlark with Irene Dunn, as well as on 20th Century Fox's David and Bathsheba, so those both of those he got nominated for, um, um, that landed his first Oscar nominations, um, uh, he often, um, sorry, I lost my place. Um, he, uh, sorry, you can cut That's this out. Okay. <laughs> I just lost my place. Um, oh, he ended up having to undergo um, cataract surgery, and uh, he like, and then after that, he had to work with magnifying device- devices the rest of his career. What? I know. And then, um, but then uh, he was, uh, and and he. He, that took him out of the game for a little bit, but then in 1954, he was called again to work by Lucille Ball, a former B-movie actress who had worked with Stevenson in the heyday of RKO. Oh, so, like, all wow. that time when he was back at RKO, she came calling and was like, uh, and, and um, uh, let's see, and then, yeah, it said, um, from that year to the end of his life, the designer worked for the First Lady of Television exclusively, for, so from 1960 onward. In fact, um, it was his work on the Lucille Ball film, The Facts of Life, that Stevenson finally won his Academy Award for. Um, uh, and then I was gonna, oh, there was something else I was gonna tell you. Um, oh gosh, sorry, I lost my place again because my computer's really slow. And this it's is okay. why I always should write my notes. It's okay. <laughs> um, this is so fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, like uh, oh, um, and then I guess like so. What happened was is after that he like that was like his he had a second career in television. Oh, and that's so, awesome. Um, it says television was an enjoyable challenge for Stevenson, um, and he did most of uh, some of his most imaginative work during this period. Miss um, Ball's uh, she reciprocated Eddie's devotion until the day he died of a coronary, December second, nineteen sixty eight. Fittingly, while shopping for fabric on La Cienega Boulevard. Oh. <laughs> And it says, uh, Ed, so, and, and it says, Eddie Stevenson was an innovator, designing for the first two strip Technicolor musicals, taking part in the creation of a unique relationship between Hollywood designers and New York retail shops, oh, helping wow. the television world, uh, world's costume departments get on their feet. He was also, by all accounts, a quiet man of good humor who touched the lives of those around him most often for the better. And oh, I just thought, wow. like, so he's this guy, he was everywhere. Like, he worked. In all the places, got all these people like places set up like way back in the day. Barely got any credit for it. Wow. And so, and then so some of his best years of his career were like later in life when Lucille Ball remembered him 
and brought him in to help work on her show. And he got to do some of his, he was just, she's like, that, see, that's some, like, that's some be nice to everybody. Cause you yeah. never know who's going to exactly. come out of the woodwork and like really give you something like, like yeah. give you a gift like that. That's so cool. Yeah. But it I'm sounds like, like his work was enormous. Like he just worked forever. Yeah. Worked literally till he dropped dead. He dropped dead in a fabric store. That, like, I mean, I just, well, that's, I can't. honestly, like, I'm, I'm not going to lie though. So I'm not going to lie though. That's, that's how I want to go. That's how I want to go. <laughs> I want to be like, is this silk sharp? <laughs> <laughs> I, I really can't think of much better ways to go. That's why I was like, I read this and I was like, I have to read this to you. It's so I have good. to share this. So that's yeah, so like, funny. I mean, it's there's, and there's so much, I mean, I was trying to kind of skim through Still like, though, and that's give you so, the bits, but like a fascinating career. That's so yeah. Awesome. And he's just like the invisible costume designer. But I and love I, that he worked even know. like back in the day when they were doing two strip color. I've, have you seen some of those two, like two, two no. strip, uh, technicolor films? They're kind of crazy. Cause it's all like sepia tone with like weird, like tints and stuff on them. Oh. It's bananas. And they're like from like the, early 20s silent films yeah he was doing that shit as a teenager like that's just crazy you know insane like Like, yeah That's Talk insane. about this is like when things are in their infancy. It's like where you're going to Hollywood high school, living in the neighborhood and happen to know somebody whose family like this is when everybody That's... was like literally working. Like even though they're famous stars, it's like, yeah, but we still live here and oh like we're God. neighbors. Yeah. It's like, like that's so crazy. But I'm sure it does you know, without a doubt, like, you know, as we all know, it's like I'm sure nothing was really handed to him. He was given no, a, like why well, I would yeah. say a leg up. Because you know that like in order for him to make that work and the fact that he wasn't getting all that credit means he was working he was yeah. working that shows integrity yeah you know? just because you get the job doesn't mean you can do the job you know exactly. that's like it's yeah. the second or third job that re- the, the fact that you get another job after that is like that's true that's like yep. legit that's legit yeah. talent and now of wow. course and then now reading that i'm like gosh now i actually want to take a closer look when i when i watch like it's a wonderful life or citizen mm-hmm. kane or even like the i love like the 60s i love lucy stuff i'm just like that's all gonna be his work you know and yeah it's just uh, i love that you know so, cool. so yeah so I'm gonna have to I dig in more was, on him. Like it seems yeah. like there's a lot to him. I d- and it's really sad. I don't think there's really any books on him. You know, it I doesn't was able feel to like find some yeah. blogs. I like that one blog that's like the silver screen one that that's written by someone who it's like you know his great great aunt was a cutter fitter in in the movie studios and like so he oh, had yeah, intel. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and that's where I was able to find some of this information where I was like, this is legit. Also, by the way, I would have been a head cutter fitter. Now I've actually that I read that like job responsibility and like that would have been me. Oh, that yeah. would have been like that. that, would have been that just so cool. like, <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. I mean, let's like, be honest. We, we, sh- we I know, should we have been bored in the 30s. Like, we should have been bored in the 30s. I would have been one of those, like, little closeted queens. Been, like, oh, my God. Me- and I could be your head cutter fitter. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'd, okay, here's the sketch. Go. <laughs> I would, yeah. And I'll be like, I'm like, I'll make it pretty now. Okay. <laughs> Oh, and so I'll and, and I refer I would refer to all of the head stars as she, including Clark Gable. I'm like <laughs> she's angry today. Her suit don't fit. <laughs> Here, Philip, take my hat. Try not to wear it. <laughs> <laughs> Try not to stretch out all the bras, Philip. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, speaking God. of which, this was a pre-code movie, which there's I some really mean, delightful tidbits I that did are so pre-code. I did wanted to talk about that. Like, this yeah. movie is pre-code. Oh, like, it's deliciously pre-code, y'all. I mean, <laughs> come on. Like, 
talk about like when um when Gina Harlow's getting getting a massage and it's just like she is barely covering her nipples. Like oh, I'm please. just like and yeah. she is like straight up like naked. Like there's yeah. like it's implied nudity and you're I was just like damn she's like <laughs> legit naked. She's like, <laughs> like she's like no, barely covered up real. with that sheet. Like oh, oh my god. Oh yeah, no, for real. And then that dress, that black and white a, like dress that she's wearing in the last there's a one shot where I'm like it's, it's like they're they're filming from the back I'm like I can see her butt crack I'm like that can see right <laughs> through that bias <laughs> like that white satin <laughs> you're like I can see her pookie hat <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean you it was do good. what you gotta and, do and, and then like, like the speakeasy stuff I mean this oh, was like this God. was the height of prohibition but like drinking everywhere mm-hmm. full acknowledgement of the realness of like oh no booze is everywhere yeah. poor people go to speakeasies rich Pretty people much. just get bottles delivered <laughs> yep that's how that's the only difference um, yep. so there is some really cool information I've always found too because I was looking mm. in this wonderful book named Harlow in Hollywood oh it's oh. a wonderful book that this young lady named Kathleen Knoll gave me as a gift one day oh, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> I was uh, so I was skimming through this book. It's called Harlow and Hollywood. It's by these two um, these two authors, Daryl Rooney and Mark A. Vieira. Um, and so I just sort of like getting some context on like 1931 and uh, Jean Harlow. So Platinum Blonde was released in October of 1931, and just under a year earlier, Hell's Angels was released in November of 1930. Jeez. So ha- she was contracted to Howard Hughes, right? So mm-hmm. Howard Hughes loaned Harlow out to Columbia for this film as well as count them so columbia for this film goldie was filmed at fox public enemy was filmed at warner brothers secret six was filmed at mgm and iron man was filmed at um, universal so she all of those films were released in 1931 she filmed five movies in 1931 and they were all she was on loan for every single one of those like that I, is, you know, I talk about being whored out. I mean, that's I mean, re- like yeah. just the very definition. That's ridiculous. And she filmed all of these while having to do public appearances for Hell's Angels. My God. So during this time, apparently Hughes was making one to tw- one thousand to twenty five hundred dollars a week on loan fees for Harlow. And Harlow apparently uh, it, it varies slightly in the book that she she's quoted as saying she only made one hundred and fifty. But apparently her contract says she made two hundred and fifty dollars a week. <laughs> Oh my god! So I mean, that she was like a slave, like I mean, a, and almost, she's only twenty. You, like, she's like nineteen, twenty years old. That's crazy. Insane. It's insane. insane. But I mean, like five films in one year, and she had to do reshoots on some of these too, like oh retakes. It's crazy. I'm just like, oh my god! But it's I, that's I like making it. maximum use of that platinum hair as quickly as possible before Pretty the roots much. come in. That's, yes, that's what it is. Yes, I mean, like I couldn't. Wow. Even. I just, I, I, you know, I think that's the thing about her. Like the more I really read about her as I'm older, you know, I read about these things and you were saying it's so tragic. I'm just Mm -hmm. like, God damn it. Like I'm angry. This is the kind of shit makes me angry. It makes me just so angry. I'm like, God, you're so, people are such assholes, you know? That's right. And she, she, um, I don't have it here, but when did she die? She was. I believe it was 36 or 37. I think it was 37, actually. Yeah. Think about it. Yep. June. So June 7th, 1937. So think about it. She would be so six years later in 1937, she'd be dead. And I kind of didn't want to be, you know, too morbid to bring that up because it was like, well, you know, know, technically she died in June, but Marilyn was born in June. So it's like, you know, 
the circle of life. <laughs> yes. And um, I did the math in June. Um, Marilyn Monroe would have been f- um, five years old. That's right. Um, when this film was in theaters. So, yeah. Um, and that's what she she did reminisce of being like a little girl, like a, yeah. a really little girl seeing these. And, and I think of like, I honestly think of, you know, my memories of being a little girl it's sort of like barbie it's, it's there's a, an angelic quality to her i'm sure she was like oh my god she's so pretty and yeah. sparkly and you know and it was it was obviously something that like a, a memories for her because she loved going to the movies as an escape from her shitty shitty life yeah <laughs> so <laughs> oh my god hey can we can we relate or i know what? right <laughs> so um did you want me to breeze through the storyline on this movie yeah, real fast yeah. so we can talk about okay oh so, yes so and we then can we'll gush. Ta- then we'll talk about the costumes so okay this movie, um, basically this movie opens up and it's a bustling newsroom. So the editor of The Post, Edmund Breeze, is yelling. Um, he's basically trying to get the attention of his ace reporter, um, Stu Smith, played by Robert Williams, who's also a wannabe playwright. So it turns out that Smith is um, goofing off with his office wife named Gallagher, played by Loretta Young. Um, and so then the editor assigns him to cover the, new, um, the newest scandal from the Schuyler family. So it turns out that popping another brewski. I'm sorry. I that was like. <laughs> I love it. I was under the table and I was like, how is that so loud? It became like a sound basin. I'm sorry, guys. It's okay. Let me, just eat, let me just eat an apple. While <laughs> Maybe some chips. Pause for Popcorn. sip. <laughs> pa- <laughs> so, um, so Michael Schuyler, played by Don Dillaway, has gotten himself into a bit of a pickle because he's um, he basically is um, being sued for breach of promise by some money grubbing chorus girl. Um, so, <laughs> Stu arrives at the house along with his rival Bingy, played by Robert Catlett from the Daily Tribune. So, the Schuyler lawyer um, Dexter, played by Reginald Owen, he's credited Dexter Grayson played by Reginald Owen, um, gives Bingy a $50 bribe to let him, let the story go unpunished, uh, published, unpunished, Freudian mm-hmm. slip. Um, so Stu, so he leaves. So then Stu um, comes in and he tricks the family into revealing that they paid the girl $10,000 to drop the lawsuit. And that uh, apparently there are still letters that could be used as blackmail. So Dexter tries his $50 bid, his $50 um you know, bit again on Stu, but he refuses. And then Anne Schuyler, played by Jean Harlow, steps in, and um, she's Michael's sister. Um, she p- pleads for him not to print the story, but and Stu agrees, but then immediately calls his um, his editor to relay the story right in front of the entire family. And they all, of course, lose their minds. Um, the mother gets the vapors and everything. It's like, it's a whole scene. <laughs> um, so Stu returns to the newsroom and then goes to his favorite speakeasy to um, regale Gallagher with the details on how beautiful Ann Schuyler was. And of course, Gallagher isn't interested because she is really smitten with Stu herself. So she doesn't want to hear about some other side piece. So Gallagher mentions to uh, mentions like maybe you want to forget about Anne because you pretty you know did pretty did a pretty good job of burning that bridge um, with her with that whole you know relaying the story bit. But Stu's got a plan because he stole a book from the library and has to return it to the family. <laughs> you know that old bit. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so Stu shows up to the house um, so he can speak with Anne. He returns the book and then pre- um, presents the blackmail letters to her. Um, so Anne, not clear on what his, Stu's intentions are, offers him a check as a thank you, and Stu refuses it, but then asks for dinner instead. Um, 
Anne begins to view... So this is when Anne Schuyler begins to view Stu differently and starts scheming on ways to turn him into a gentleman. So... After several society party hangout sessions, the couple falls in love and elope soon after. So the family is aghast because Anne, they didn't think that Anne would ever marry someone of a, quote, lower class. And Stu isn't bothered by this at first. Um, and then back at the newsroom, the marriage is scooped by the Daily Tribune, which enrages his editor. And finding this news out via headline breaks Gallagher's heart. So the editor taunts Stu for being a, quote, bird in a gilded cage and nothing more than Anne Schuyler's husband. <laughs> Stu, of course, finds all of this preposterous and proclaims nothing will change. And that's famous last words, naturally, yep. as always. <laughs> so this is when Anne begins overhauling her new husband. She convinces him to move into the mansion. She arranges him a valet and even gets him to wear sock garters, which he made a big deal about in the earlier in the movie that he doesn't wear them. <laughs> proudly. Um, <laughs> proudly. You know, which I didn't understand that, but maybe it's a, maybe it's a colloquial <laughs> thing. Old like sloppy a, socks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's a, like a 1931 thing. Where yeah. He's just such like, a rebel. It's like yeah. a pop collar. <laughs> <laughs> such a rebel. <laughs> he doesn't wear <laughs> just the idea of anyway. He's so dangerous. He doesn't wear sock garters. Ooh. I just, you know, I think I'm, the idea of like socks slinking into my shoes just infuriating. So I would just do what I got to do. Yeah. I just love the idea of women across the nation just getting all moist because he doesn't wear sock garters. Look at him. He's so dangerous. Don't tell my mom. It's like he's not wearing panties. <laughs> okay. So the Skyler. <laughs> Not to bulldoze over that, but we got to go. We got to keep going. So the Schuyler family holds a reception for the Spanish ambassador and Gallagher um, arrives because she's filling in for the society reporter. Um, Stu is so happy to see his old buddy and he is even more impressed by how great she looks in her evening gown. So Anne comes in and is shocked to learn that her husband's BFF is a pretty lady. Um, (laughs) Anne treats her coldly. Um, Gallagher gets the picture and bounces. Um, Stu, angry with Anne, ca- um, chases after Gallagher and then runs into Bingy. So Bingy has come to offer Stu a column at the Tribune, but the catch is, is that he has to sign every article with Anne Schuyler's husband. Um, Stu punches Bingy out cold when he call- refers to him as Cinderella Man. And then the next day, the family is thrown into another tizzy when the brawl hits the front pages. Um, so later, Stu ends up skipping a party and stays home alone to work on his play. And he's not able to get anything, so he gets some sage advice about puttering from his butler's... <laughs> I love that part. That's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> really funny. <laughs> yeah. So he, so that's that uh, That sage advice comes from Smythe the butler, played by Halliwell Hobbs. Um, <laughs> and to shake things up, um, uh, Stu invites... Um, Gallagher over to help him write and encourages her to bring a chaperone from the speakeasy. When she arrives, it turns out her chaperone brought his own chaperone and everybody and every chaperone ended up bringing their own chaperone. So it turns into like this whole melee. Um, Gallagher and Stu leave the party downstairs to write his play, which begins to mirror his current situation. Um, the Schuyler family arrives home to find the house mid frat party and loses their minds. Um, and then Anne is aghast to find her husband uh, upstairs alone with a woman. <laughs> um, so fed up with the whole thing, Stu storms out and um, returns to his life downtown with Gallagher in tow. 
So Dexter, the lawyer, shows up to his apartment later to discuss the divorce settlement and to agree on the amount of expected alimony. Insulted by for the last time, Stu punches Dexter in the nose and sends him back with the news that he wants nothing from the Schuyler family. And then the film closes with Stu and Gallagher brainstorming how the play should end, which mirrors the current events of the divorce and the male yeah. protagonist returning to the waiting arms of the girl who he's been in love with the whole time. And that person is Gallagher. <laughs> <laughs> Hintity, hint, hint, super subtle. <laughs> <laughs> um so that was the movie basically the end the end um so a couple things that's interesting that's funny to note about this movie is that the 50 dollar bribe my, my ride's here um nope. yeah sorry <laughs> I, gotta go. I, I forgot to tell you don't be motorcycles <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of the ambiance <laughs> So yep. the f- the fifty dollar bribe that the lawyer gives would equate to seven hundred and eighty dollars in twenty sixteen money two years ago, and the oh. ten thousand dollars that are mentioned in the settlement would equal to a hundred and fifty six thousand dollars. Wow! <laughs> so that chick made off like a ba 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 bandit. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> that's bananas. Um, that's crazy. Um, did you hear about the um, the lead actor Robert Williams? Did you read yes, about him much? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. So he is best known for this movie because mm-hmm. it's his first and only leading role from 1931. Apparently he come he came from Broadway and a stage actor, mm-hmm. and he um, he died of. Um, parentonitis, parentonitis, three yeah. days after the film's premiere. Yeah, and I think he it's was, like his, his appendix burst. Yeah. yeah, basically. And he was only in seven films in total, and this was his yeah. first leading role. And so sad. He was so good in this I movie. I thought he was great. I yeah. had like never seen him before and never like was not aware of this guy. And me watching this the first time, I was just like, this dude is like, a natural yeah very like, natural and the and the women were natural with him it didn't seem he was really good at being doting without creepy like with Gallagher well, and stuff even like that. but just, even like even against like because like Loretta Young and both Jean Harlow they were very like kind of like stilted and like their yeah. acting was just not as like he was just like relaxed so good yeah. he was so good at his acting style was so good it felt contemporary yeah like I it did felt like he that, was yeah I'm sorry. What were you reading? Oh no, no. I was no to, to what you're saying. I did read. I, I was reading somewhere that like people were saying at the time, and film hispo- historians do kind of say like, had he not died, like he would have been another. He would have been a great star. I like imagine. that he had like, he geez. had potential. Like he was, you know, like this movie was sort of like you know the way this was for Gene Harlow. This kind of was for him. Like this would have been like he could have been another James Cagney. I if mean, you think easily, about it. Like, or, his... or contended with him as far as like the work and everything. Because he could have easily been another rom com guy. Like this, he was spot on and just totally. what he needed to be. Like know? he had the same. He had very like similar comic timing to like the Marx Brothers and stuff. Yeah. It was just so fast and natural that you were just like, yeah. and every word he said was so believable in this movie. I was like shocked with yeah. how contemporary he seemed. I you was know, like, you he know, didn't... he actually kind of reminded me of like a very very young Bill Murray. Like oh yeah, like, I could totally that see that. The easy breezy way of just kind of like you know, like the way he used to, he would flirt with like Sigourney Weaver and Ghost. Like it would kind of a like little bit. I mean, not Ghost, I'm Ghostbusters. <laughs> that was like, a very weird movie. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> oh my God. Ghost starring Sigourney Weaver, Bill Murray, and Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> I love how you were like, 
Wait, I know where you're going, but hold up. <laughs> I just wanted to sit in that moment for a little bit. Oh, oh my, god. my god, that was funny. Oh, wow. Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, but he was good. He had a really good natural com- comedic style that um, that just jived really well with everybody, for sure. Mm-hmm. And, um I mean, it's. Yeah. I was just but it, shocked. I, th- I thought I was shocked too, and it's really sad because both him and Gene Harlow uh, died of something at the time that was uh, kind of untreatable, or they were kind of they were fucked. But you know, like like sure hers, but now like that's something that would have been treatable. That like, mm-hmm. like they wouldn't have died today. Yeah. Like the chances of that happening, like especially like there was no kidney dialysis back then, and that's really what Gene Harlow needed. Like that's re- like there's all this lore around how she died and blah blah blah, but really she was she was she was on a this was a slow burn like she was slowly unfortunately like she was slowly dying she had you know and and there was really nothing that could be done for what was slowly happening to her and that's what's really sad you know and uh, today would have been a different story um and that's what people we we forget you know it's like we watch these movies and they they seem i mean yeah like they they are from another time but they're like they seem fairly relatable like oh it's Mm -hmm. not that long ago but think of like medically (laughs) we've come a long way (laughs) oh my god yeah wow so So anyway but yeah yeah. (laughs) i want to know did you have any favorite looks in this movie um let's see i think um it was kind of a toss up between Jean Harlow's dressing gown where she's doing the farmer and the Dell sort of uh, oh thing, God, trying yes. to get him to wear the sock garters, which I was a super cute interaction. And that's the thing too, is even though she's like, this supposed to be the society rich bitch, she's extremely likable. I don't like, she's not a mean character. I don't mm-hmm. see her as being mean. Like she's very likable. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought that was amazing where it's like they got the kimono sleeves and like the bias, like, or like mermaid, kind of like the mermaid cut uh, skirt. And yes. I'm assuming it's white satin. There's like sleeve, you know, what lace sleeves and it's got the cross front and she just wears, it's just, you know, she, it's made for her obviously. And then, and I loved her black and white number at the end where you could kind of see her butt crack <laughs> at the back, <laughs> through the back. It was kind of see-through, but the side panels were black and then the, the oh, front yeah, and the, that and, was and, so and, gorgeous. and then she yeah. had that cocoon coat that went with it. And those gorgeous chandelier earrings just rocking off that platinum hair is just what, I mean, I, when I saw that, I was like, that's like Madonna in Vogue with the chandelier. I'm like, what woman has it tried this look with your blonde hair? <laughs> this is it. The shit like that is that, that, close like platinum hair with those sh- big chandelier diamond earrings i'm like i can Ugh. think of like five ladies who have done that and yes. done it well so mm-hmm. you know it was just it was yeah so i guess i guess that'd be my favorite really then yeah. and, and she's so angry at the end i actually feel bad for her like you know it wasn't right but it's a good story it's it's a it's a rom-com of the time but yeah. there's definitely a lot of like toxic masculinity and weirdness yeah. going on that's that's, that's like true. you know there is like, a and they play on his masculinity and the, and the whole thing of him being, you know, like this kept man. And and like that that really like was his like trigger, <laughs> you know, Apparently, and yeah. Uh, yeah. And so there's, you know, definitely it's it, I guess you could call this a problematic fave. But yes. um, but it still was really good. What was your did you have a favorite? Honestly, I loved um, when Loretta Young came to the party. Oh, well, when she that's came like to the Cinderella party, coming to the ball, I you're mean, just like, she well, had it was like drape. this beautiful drape in the back, and it was yeah. all like kind of beaded in the front and all super biased cut, yeah. which is really beautiful too because this is like 1931. So she was her character. I actually really loved her character I and did just too. the way that her the way that she looked more than anything mm-hmm. was because she was very much this sort of like they made sure that she still looked very 1920s, which I think was. Yeah 
great because then they made yeah. Anne Schuyler, Jean Harlow's character, more more contemporary, which we've yeah. seen before She's already. And like, yeah. yeah, so we've seen that before in like Blonde Crazy and all of that. So, but she looks mm-hmm. very 1920s, like close hat, high arch, eye pencil thin eyebrows, yeah. like flatter big hair that's eyes, more like, big. Yeah. yeah, she was yeah. like she looked very like silent film star, like chic, yeah. like she chic, but she looked kind of dated by 1931 yeah. like yeah. because they would have already you know society would have been already moving toward those like lo- you know, like more t- form-fitting silhouettes yeah. and all of that stuff and I just love the like way. She had like a early modern Millie vibe to her. Oh you know what God. I mean? She like, totally with did. With her little working yeah. girl hat. And that was the other, I mean, talk about a big sort of difference in, you know, here she is, she's got her hat, she's got her like sensible, you know, shoes and like, you know, like mm-hmm. shorter dresses. And then Jean Harlow, she's just, she. I don't, do we ever see her in a hat? Like even when no. she's wearing her beautiful bias cut gowns, like her day dresses, I guess you could say. Yeah, and I seriously doubt that. going outside. Yeah, you know? and I seriously doubt that they would have covered her hair though in no. this movie at all because she's, yeah. like the platinum blonde and they exactly. were like really kind of Showcase. selling her as that Showcase. like yeah, yeah. just like it's like it's almost like that infamous story about uh, when they hired Batgirl for the Batman series in yeah. the 60s and they like put her in the costume and it like kind of flattened her boobs and the and the producer of the show is like you you've destroyed the two reasons we hired that girl change the costume <laughs> so right? it's the same thing like if they covered up her platinum blonde hair they'd be like why did we hire her yeah, like don't exactly. cover it up like that's yeah. the reason so and this was like the the dawn of her like this being her signature like mm-hmm. like brand like this yeah. is her brand you know yeah but I just I loved Loretta Long Young's looks because oh, it was so like she was so smart her her yeah. her clothes were really smart looking but also they were very cute like there's a lot of like beautiful like kind of mm-hmm. like um wonderful like lapels and like over you know kind of like exaggerated lapels on a couple yeah. of like and she had a beautiful beautiful cloche hats which I so cute hats they're so cute and then the hair to go with it like when she puts them on like her hair would just be just right and then you know it and that was the other thing i'm very fascinated with you know hair really from this time was sort of like cut and quaffed with the intention of being wear of wearing a hat Mm-hmm, and I, yeah. I like if you look at Jean Harlow's hair, it really was not quaffed in a way for a hat to go on top of that. Not but a like big the like Youngs and yeah. everything is like it was done in a way where she could sort of smush that hat on top and it still kind of had its thing. Like this is a girl who's like has to get up every day and go to work, you know, yeah. kind of it, it and said her something. Ha- yeah, and that's like if you think about it cuz the 30s that's when hats started getting bigger Big and like more like yeah. so the crown of the hat instead of sitting lower on the head like the mm-hmm. cloche hats do, the the crown of the hat gets more much smaller and then they yeah. have wider brims so that's And then when their hair start. was getting longer and their too. Their hair was yeah. getting longer, but also the hair would get more intricate so it would be it, easier yep. for them to perch a hat on the back of their head as opposed to like covering most of their hair yep. because yeah. it, if you're thinking of it like that's it's just easier for them to wear it that way and it's a yeah sign of like wealth because then you could have your hair done more often yeah and that sort of thing whereas with like a you know a closer fitting hat you don't have to do your hair as much you could probably set it at night quickly yourself yeah rather than definitely. going to the salon and doing it like a whole yeah. thing and yeah. I, and this this film it's this it's sort of like i was thinking a lot about blonde crazy when i was watching this movie because they were both released in 1931 and they definitely have that really transitional 20s to the 30s look mm-hmm. like you can yeah. see where there's residual of the 20s like certain traits and but you definitely see it moving forward particularly with the evening wear which is what i wrote down is a bias showdown or hoedown but like <laughs> everybody was just like it was it was just like bias everywhere i am not mad at that but it a was lot just, of mermaid too a lot a of like mermaid. seamed oh my God. like a lot Backless. of like yeah and a lot of like <laughs> you know? knee seams with flounces yeah, like there's no of, underwear like, going on here it's just yeah. broop, it's like putting on it's nightgowns and finger waves as far as the eye can see and mm-hmm. diamonds 
and it just looked good. It looked good. I really loved, um, yes, I really loved um, Jean Harlow's sailor outfit that she wore when she met with um, Robert Williams the second time when he came by with the letters. And she's like wearing like this satin, like it's almost like she had like high waisted. um, And then there was another scene where she had high waisted sailor pants and it was very, it was very Ginger Rogers, but it was really like, she just looked super cute. Oh, super cute. And like no panties. No panties. No panties. <laughs> no panties. No panty line because no, no panties. I don't like lines. <laughs> oh my God. But oh, I want to wear sock garters, Kathleen. Where do uh, I find them? <laughs> well, probably somewhere online. I'm sure that there's somebody who makes them. Or I'm probably, sure. I, I bet you even Brooks Brothers or some of those places may even still do them. You know? I'm totally into it. Because yeah. his, his sock garters with like those, per, like, I'm like, like custom made etched engraved like garter yeah. or like they were pretty awesome so beautiful i'm like oh, i want beautiful sock garters yeah <laughs> maybe i'll no. put a maybe i'll put a ride do or two on <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm saying like if you could get ones that are like monogrammed that would be so mm-hmm. cool <laughs> yes i want a monogram set of sock garters <laughs> i'll put that out in the universe i'll secret that <laughs> Oh, oh, I, I was going to tell, before I forget, the other one I really liked was at the very end, Jean Harlow, the, the mom, her coat, that like long, she, it, it, she had this beautiful, like looked like a long shimmery coat with just like big fur cuffs and a big collar. Oh, it was yeah. pretty gorgeous. She had some looks, by the way. She like, did. She was, oh, she had some oh rich God. lady looks. <laughs> and her mother, hair was beautifully coiffed, like everything, you know? The mother was out of control in this movie. Yeah. She was so funny. And I feel like as much as like, it's it's great like to highlight the stars in their costumes, like sometimes these side, especially like the, the older characters, like they, they're their roles and their costumes. It's so good when like equal attention is given because they are very important. Like she looked good, you know, she <laughs> I mean, good. and she would look her part. Like she was, you know, she looked like the lady who needs a fainting couch, you know, yes. <laughs> but she also like, again, like what that in the end, when they come in from that glamorous party or whatever they're doing to like the big scene at the, in the you know, of the madness in the, in the mansion, I'm like, they are angry and look amazing. You know? yes. <laughs> Love it, man. There are some good looks in this movie, like yeah. really good looks. Like so, I definitely recommend this movie. It was super cute. Yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm trying to. No, it's okay. Are you looking through your notes? Because I'm looking yeah, through no, mine. Yeah, I'm looking <laughs> through like the photos and stuff and seeing, like, looking at the other the other looks and stuff. And there's just so many good ones. Like the the mother's dressing gown too, where she oh, that for sure. Mar- she had like a flounce dressing gown and looked amazing. Yeah. And yeah. Robert Williams had some really great outfits too. I mean, his suits and stuff were very like impeccable. Like oh, well, they well, were really kind of like more sloppy. Like, oh yeah. Like, no, but they the were a little more sloppy. The whole, yeah, the reporter so scene. Good. And then <laughs> like, like when he then he got into a tuxedo, which he looked yeah sharp. so good. Well, we've we've discussed like the the sharpness of uh, 1930s Ben when they clean up. You're we're just like whew. Yes. Looking good with the with the Ooh. crisp part in the hair, I know. slicked back, and you know the three piece suit with you know the white tux. Oh my god! So, yeah, mm, they Lord. look. Oh, I remember. I had a question, and I guess I'm putting this out to the universe because I noticed in this movie, and I've seen this in other, I've seen this in other movies from like the 20s on up, maybe even to like the 60s or 70s. But what is up with women carrying hankies? 
Do you ever notice that? Like they'll be having this evening gown and they'll be I walking and they'll have handkerchiefs with them. Sometimes they're almost like elaborately matching or they're long, some are, but I noticed particularly, and I saw this in Blonde Crazy 2 and other movies, particularly in these 30s ones, they're wearing these huh. long bias gowns and they'll be like holding a handkerchief just sort of as an accessory, just in their hand. Sometimes they're wringing it, sometimes, but on often they have lace on them. And That's a good I've, question. It's, it's one thing, it's like I've seen it and I keep seeing it. Now that I, it's like once I noticed it, I keep seeing it over and over and i'm just wondering sort of what that is for or what that is like what purpose that serves and is that like a hollywood thing or is that like a real life thing i wonder if it is steeped in something maybe that's where they keep their smelling knows about like what's up with the ladies with the hankies usually it's like with evening gowns like they'll have an evening gown and they'll be holding a handkerchief with them you Mm. know um do you ever notice that I did notice. I have seen that yeah. before. I've definitely seen that before, and I've never really been given it a second thought. Yeah. Which is interesting. I probably should think about that more. I wonder but, what that is. Like, why? Yeah. And I kept huh. thinking of, I was thinking of other movies throughout other decades where I'm like, no, nope, no, I remember she was carrying it. And no, nope, no, I remember she had a hanky too. And it would always be in huh. these scenes where they're going to meet somebody or they're going to a dance or some sort of scene and they're, and they're holding it. Then they'll be walking across and I'm noticing that they're like sort of holding this hanky in one hand. Huh. So, and then we, you see this in this movie, particularly like Jean Harlow is doing that. Yeah. So. Maybe they've got yeah. snotty noses. I don't know, but yeah, I don't, I don't, maybe that's it. Maybe it's just like, of course, they're usually in scenes where it involves something kind of dramatic happening. So maybe that like cry, they're just prepping for the crying or the sniffling <laughs> or something. I don't know, you know, oh, well. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you never know. We'll have to keep. We'll have to keep digging for that one. Yeah. The I, other I thing that I never, out. I never noticed too, is this one um, shows he gets out of his tuxedo, and I never knew that those like those shirt waists, where it's like those super crisp pleated shirts, buttoned uh-huh. from the back. Yeah. I never noticed that. And yeah. it has like, hey, so it had one button at the back of his neck. So it was almost like it was like a poncho like a or like a um, like a hospital gown for his shirt. And I had never have, known yeah, that. It's, that. Some of them have different construction because of all the heavy pleating and stuff in front. That's but so yeah, weird. I, I never knew it's that. It's so weird. I would love yeah. to research more about that too because I feel like we've talked about this too. The more we watch these like early, particularly early 30s movies, you're just like, wow, there's some crazy bananas things going on with the men's stuff. If you really look closely, yeah. it's like a suit isn't just a suit. Like there's accessories, there's like weird construction, there's like really cool piecing and matching of stuff or interesting lapels that just, I feel like we see it more in this era than any other time and maybe just because yeah. like suit, everybody wore suits like little and i guess suits, maybe you know? and i guess so. maybe that would have been a thing if he had a valet because he did have a valet and he would have had yeah. somebody to dress with help him dress so i guess if it did button up the back or have like at the back entrance it would have been easier for it would have been better to have someone help dress you so maybe that's, that's something like that a, yeah. maybe a carryover from like the teens and 20 like early 20s of like high society people well, women so had i could that for ages of you know stuff or spe- particularly in the turn of the century of like yeah uh, blouses a button in the back and the idea of like well somebody would have to help you you know yeah so then like maybe lower class people had b- shirts that buttoned up the front and that was like a sign of well possibly or well you know makes sense i mean yeah. it's not like zippers weren't really around at that time or yeah. they were but not really used in that way yeah, and then I guess it would help rusted. to keep. I guess that would be different if they had like, because if the fake, if the buttons in the front are fake, then you wouldn't have any gapping of the shirt if he's yep. moving around. So, yeah. interesting to think about. Yeah. Oh, tuxedos. 
<laughs> I love. I, I just love studying too. all that tailoring from that time because the more you still really, you're like, oh my god, that totally makes sense. You know, you're like, <laughs> I get it. Yeah. You know, stuff like that, like what you were just saying of like, That's yeah, you're right. There would be less gapping or worried about that if it's all in the back. I think there, there's no then you can just have it really front fit perfectly. Yeah. You know, and and particularly sh- with women, you know. So yeah, mm-hmm. like there's no like less curves in the back. So no. yeah. Oh my gosh! Interesting Where were we? About. Where was I? I know, right? Like, uh, hello. I <laughs> know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, wow. Uh, so yeah, we went on a tangent for quite a time. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, this is um, what people are here for, right? Yeah. You know, so we're professionals. There... <laughs> <laughs> Professional novices. Yeah, we're, 19... we're dropping knowledge. You know, we're yeah. just we're just you know. Uh, I mean, literally, like, we're using our experience to talk about shit and not be douches. It's all good. I just want people to think about things. That's all. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So is there anything else you want to talk about in this film Um, before we wrap it up? I mean, there's, I mean, if you haven't seen it, definitely watch this movie. Yes, please watch this. There's plenty to see. Yeah. It's a cute film. It's a a romp, if you will. (laughs) Yes. And may I add, not all of Gene Harlow's films are, like, easy to find and stream. Some of them are kind of, like, only DVD available. Like, our first selection that we wanted to do wasn't, like, as easy for us to, like, I would have had to get dvds for both of us and like send them off which we oh end up God. doing later this year for bell book and candle because fuck it we're we got to get that you know <laughs> so anyway but this was much easier it's on amazon and so it was easy to just you know get and watch and um it's in pretty good condition i think for what it is yeah i don't it think was. it's particularly been restored but it's not for being a pre-code movie from that time i thought the sound was really good it's mm-hmm. very clear it's very engaging um, you know, a fun little romp, romp and rom-com from that time. Um, mm-hmm. I think I just have one thing. It's not about the movie. It's a tiny corrections corner. And I can't remember if I've already done this yet, but since I, as no one knows, but I, we are recording, I'm recording long distance. I'm, I'm actually in uh, Virginia city at the gold Hill hotel. And it reminded me of our Virginia city episode <laughs> oh. from the stinker series. And I wanted to make a tiny corrections corner cause I actually flip flopped the name of two people I was talking about. And I wanted to talk, uh, mention it's Lucius Beebe and Charles Clegg. And those were the two guys that I talked about in the episode who actually, um, who really did live up here, um, settled in here kind of after World War II and became really prolific writers about uh, the history of the railroad and had this amazing luxury railroad car. And um, Lucius, AKA Luscious Beebe, was a real, <laughs> real legit bomb vivant from like New York City who used to write for, you know, write for the society pages and I'm sure was an, uh, an inspiration for a lot of people um, like sort of those bon vivant type characters he was the real deal like lived it and um, Charles Clegg was his partner and they were together for decades and um, I always thought they, they have a very interesting story but they were really uh, great writers and photographers about uh, if you're a big uh, locomotive and railroad nerd they're, um they wrote a lot of books on that so that's oh, that was cool. my corrections corner <laughs> okay so okay moving on okay well <laughs> Well, we appreciate you guys coming back. We missed you. Yes, we missed you. So, we're excited about the summer. We have yep. such plans. Um, such, we're really excited so about the plans. lineup. All um, the plans. Yeah, and we, we're, we're going to be bringing some glamour your way. And mm-hmm. we, we're so excited. We can't wait. Yep. 
Um, so in the meantime, keep 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 in touch with us. Um, I say, keep can, it real. Keep keep it real. <laughs> keep it real, guys. I'm not kidding. I'm sick of your attitudes. Now, um, keep in touch. Yes. Holler at us over on the social media. You can catch us on Instagram, Old Hollywood Realness. Yeah. OHR podcast on Twitter, Old Hollywood Realness on Facebook. You can visit our website, oldhollywoodrealness.com. We have um we have um our Pinterest boards with uh, with photos from the movies and yeah. stuff, and um, some also some helpful links on this one. We have some mm-hmm. links for you guys to check out. Um, we have an Amazon banner over there, so you can click that and use it while you shop. Um, we need to help. We need to thank our friend Hal Lublin for his mm-hmm. vocal talents at the top of the podcast. You guys are always welcome to email us with all of your thoughts and prayers. Yeah, and, let us know um, about the hankies. What do you guys yeah, think? Yeah, let okay. us know about the hankies. <laughs> Keep us posted. Let us know what's going on in your lives. <laughs> um, email us at oldhollywoodrealness at gmail.com. Anything that you want to um, talk about, that'd be awesome. Um, give us a rate and review and subscribe over on iTunes. Um, it'd be got awesome if you could give us a five-star review and yeah. write something, write a little write a little note for all other podcast listeners we're also on um we're also on google play and we're Mm -hmm. also on stitcher so check if you use those you can certainly find us there too um but in the meantime thanks for listening to ohr welcome back bye